1: Hello, you're listening to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books, presented by Lloyd Shepherd and Tim Wright. You join us for the second part of our adventure into The Woman in Black by Susan Hill, published in 1983. In the first part, we investigated some, a possible location in, in, in Yorkshire, which we decided wasn't quite right. And we went to Scarborough, where Susan Hill was born. Uh, we also had an extended conversation about how terrible 1983 was. But this episode, we're heading into Lincolnshire, and we're going to a town called Louth. Yes, which now I realise that in part one, when we were talking about 1983, we didn't talk about someone who quite famous who comes from Louth. Oh, Robert Wyatt. Robert Wyatt released Shipbuilding in 1983, possibly one of the few bright lights. You don't like that song, do you? I love that song, yeah. We had an extended conversation about whether or not I thought Robert Wyatt was overrated. Yeah, I don't want to do that again. Yeah, you were very upset. (sighs) We are going to get now a bit more specific about dates and locations because that's our job. That is our job. Because we went trailing around sort of being roughly interested in yep. places. But in Lincolnshire, I felt we got a bit more down to it. I felt there were a couple of moments where we both went, yeah, this is what she meant. That's right. Yeah. So we found a marsh. We're going to go well, out to We should, to we should emphasize again that the locations in the book are fictional. And she's, very, she's actually been very careful to make them fictional yeah she's clear it's a made up ghost story about about made up places but we're we're not taking it we're not having it We're not not having having it it. we think she's based on a real place and we think we know where that place is yes we do but gradually soil gave way to rough grass and I began to see dikes and ditches filled with water and then we were approaching the marshes themselves they lay silent still and shining under the November sky and they seemed to stretch in every direction as far as I could see and to merge without a break into the waters of the estuary and the line of the horizon. My head reeled at the sheer and startling beauty, the wide, bare openness of it, the sense of space, the vastness of the sky above, on either side, made my heart race. Very good. And then, uh, as I get closer, Mm -hmm. the sun at our backs reflected in the water all around so that everything shone and glistened like the surface of a mirror and the sky had taken on a faint pinkish tinge at the edges. And this in turn became reflected in the marsh and the water. Then, as it was so bright that it hurt my eyes to go on staring at it, I looked up ahead and saw as if rising out of the water itself a tall gaunt house of grey stone with a slate roof that now gleamed steelily in the light. It stood like some lighthouse or beacon or Martello Tower, facing the whole wide expanse of marsh and estuary, the most astonishingly situated house I had ever seen or could ever conceivably have imagined. Isolated, uncompromising, but also, I thought, handsome. All right. So we haven't found a house. No, but have we found a location? Oh, it's spectacular, isn't it? you better better tell, tell the listener where we are. We are in Lincolnshire, we are at the, uh, the north-eastern tip of Lincolnshire and it's the Humber estuary that we're looking out at, or where, where the Humber estuary meets the North Sea. Uh, we've got tankers rolling by, we can see a couple of wind farms, we can see the lighthouse on the, the north side of the estuary, the other side from where we are. And behind us we've got the flatlands of Lincolnshire. So and the wolds in the distance. The wolds in the distance, so uh, you know, brown ploughed fields, sheep... Tree, lines of trees, dikes it's, it's like, I mean it's like being in Holland I mean it's extraordinary it's an extraordinary landscape and ahead of us we've got a salt marsh merging into a, a beach merging into the sea and we've also got a pathway out to a slight rise in the marsh of grass, rather, where possibly a house could have been situated. A rather meaningful marsh. I mean, it's, it's a kind of rise where we could take a picture of it and literally draw a house on it. Well, it, would, it would work. Well, for those, those who support us on Patreon, you're going to get lots of pictures of this, yeah. so you get a really good sense. All you've got to do now is just imagine a causeway and a house, and it's here. And the sound of a pony and trap. Yeah, that's it. Because even as we came down here, there's a very long, straight, tree-lined road out from uh, what was the village called Marsh Chapel? Marsh Chapel. Out from a village called Marsh. Chapel. And it was about, it's about three miles. Yes, I, would I think say. it was. So she says it's about three miles from the, well, actually from the market town. Yes, so and Marsh Chapel's not really a market town. It's not I really a candidate for the market town. But you know, we should say we'll, we'll keep saying in this book, you know, Susan Hill's being quite clear that this is an invented location. Yes, but she's picked she's things c- she's picking out things out of her memory, and yeah. but I this would feels... be astonished if she's not been here. Or very much, all very close to here. Yeah, this feels pretty good. Yeah, Uh, even better was in front of us. There were some dog walkers, and their dog went skipping across the marsh along the path. And if you've read the book, there's a there's a a dog called Spider who nearly meets a sticky end in the sand in the marshes. Yeah. And I was looking at that dog, thinking, I hope it's going to be all right. Well, I'm slightly worried because they did walk out onto the sand. I can't see them anymore. No, no, I can just see them over there. Two dark figures with their dogs. Why are they waving their arms? <laughs> the ships look like they're sitting on the beach. Yes. The big ships are coming out of Hull. or well, Grimsby, probably Grimsby, actually. There's just a parade of them. The distant lighthouse. Two, there's another couple of little black figures on the sands there I can see in the distance. Yeah. Or can I? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> there is, it is, as you say, Tim... Very, very vibey. It's really good. We tried Yorkshire. We tried Yorkshire. Which obviously is where Susan Hill's from. From Scarborough. But when we came over to Lincolnshire, almost immediately I was thinking, no, this feels a bit bit more like it, really. So I know she didn't even write it here. She wrote it in Suffolk. And I know that there are only causeways in Northumberland and Essex. Yeah. But for my money, imaginatively, yeah. if you want to get your head round where that house is, in the Woman in Black, you've got to come here, haven't you? I think so. And there're constant references to the estuary. And of course, it's all quite a ghostly place, Lloyd. Uh, quite a lot. Well, you've already introduced me to some ghosts. Have you got more ghosts? Yes, we've got to go to the very haunted place of Tetney and Tetney Lock. Okay. You're going to get very scared by the publican in Tetney Lock. Am I? <laughs> The first publican I've been scared of.
0: <laughs> the whole thing has been the most challenging job I've ever done, hands down. You know, when you start thinking and delving in your heart and your soul, the pits of grief that you must go through when you lose, not just as someone you love, but your child.
1: It's not a very pleasant place to be, and I've been there for four months every day, and it's not been easy. There's a causeway, though. So, there's only a certain number of causeways that it could be. Oh, so, oh do you know what? I thought you, for a moment there, you said there is a causeway, though. I thought, had I missed it? It <laughs> <laughs> actually no, gave me a in, bit of a jolt. In there. the book, there is a causeway. In the book, there is a causeway. There is a causeway. So, to the Eel Marsh House. So, what do we know about real causeways? Right. I have amassed a list. A list of real causeways? Yes, on the east coast. So the most famous one by a long chalk is the one out to Lindisfarne Island. Yeah, which you visited recently. Very recently. I've got a video of uh, me driving across it. You're going to put it on our Patreon page? Yes, so if you support us on Patreon, you get the treat. You get the treat of of, uh, driving across the causeway. Of watching (laughs) watching the footage out of the front screen as the tide comes in, as me desperately trying to get off the Island. I've seen a video. It's an absolute thrill ride. (laughs) Do you know they have joyrides there that people do go and try? Or try and raise the tide. Yeah, just as the tide's going over the road. Of course try. they do. And it's quite long. It's a good it's mile, a, long, a mile a and a half. Way, Regularly people get... C- it's c- particularly long if you're being attacked by Vikings <laughs> from the mainland. Lindisfarne, if you've never been, you should go It's really... I've never been. It's got a spooky yeah. churchyard, yeah. so that's good, Like yeah. as in the book. Yeah. But there isn't a house there. There there are loads of houses there. Oh, well, people, people live, live there. On it. Oh, do they? Yeah, there's a pub there, mate. There's a pub on Lindisfarne? Yeah. That feels very... Blasphemous. No. And there's a castle there as well that been, was refurbished in the 1930s oh, I, by I a millionaire this, or something. I had this image of it. I rent been, it out. I had the vision of it being a desolate emptiness with just a ruined area. No, no, no. So it's quite big. Yeah. Okay. Well, it took to accommodate all the pilgrims. There's loads of pilgrims. Yeah. There were loads of them there when I well. was there. There's a big car park, huge car park. <laughs> Pilgrims arrive by car these days. (laughs) Well, they can't. Yeah. You don't want to be walking across that causeway because if you get it wrong, you're in big trouble. Anyway, I recommend a trip. But that's the most famous one. I think no writer can talk about a causeway without alluding to that, to my mind. Yeah. Okay. That's one. Now, the next most famous one on the East Coast is the one that connects O.C. Island to Essex um, out of the Blackwater. Yeah. Now, O.C. Island is um, is where they actually filmed Woman in Black, the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. O.C. Island is quite an interesting place. Wasn't there a recent thing with um, Jude Law? Sorry. Oh, did you watch that? That was yeah, a punch was that, drunk thing. That was sky. weird. I loved it. That was a weird where thing. Where he was doing all the trials of whatever. Yeah. yeah, what was it called? There's a brilliant moment where he's standing on a pole in the middle of yeah. that water and he falls off in his pants. Yeah. So good, yeah. I I watched hours of that. Yeah, I loved it because it had a whole online thing that was. uh, (laughs) Oh, it was great. Immersive. It was immersive fiction. Well, I actually know some of the people involved in making that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, It was good. It It was good. I enjoyed it. It That's OC Island, though, wasn't it? It was OC Island. You're absolutely right. OC Island has been for many years. It it was formerly owned by a brewing family, the Charringtons. Mm -hmm. But for many years, it's been a place. uh, It's got a drug and alcohol treatment center in there, but it's for decades, right? It's a retreat for wealthy alcoholics and has been since the early 1900s. And, of course, Amy Winehouse attended rehab there. Yeah, that is the rehab clinic in... Rehab. In rehab. It was on OCI. I won't go, no, no. Yeah, and it's quite a musical place. It's got a very famous recording studio on there as well. Yes, I did know that, yeah. Uh, Did you see that Rihanna spent many months on O.C. Island. On O.C. Island? Yes, she she hired up the mansion there. She was recording an album, obviously, but she was there quite a long time. Blimey. On the causeway. Rihanna, Rihanna in yeah. Essex. Now, there's a couple of others I'm just going to mention very quickly. I think another literary allusion might be Berg Island. Okay, I've stayed on Berg Island. So have I. I stayed in Agatha Christie's house on Berg Island. The beach house. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that was a my, specific For my silver house. wedding anniversary. Uh, and then there were none. Yeah. That famous story yeah, yeah. Well, that had a previous title. The, we, the previous title we say. don't talk about is based on there. And the other one we've been to, we've been to on a causeway, yeah. the Grain Tower. The Grain Tower in uh, North Kent. Yeah. That is, that is great. That is really. You know, that, that, I, that I recommend like that, listener. I, I don't think you're meant to go out there and climb all over it. It's meant to be a bit dangerous, but yeah. I've but, done it twice, three times. Now. Have you? Who else have you been going to Grain Island with? <laughs> I'm not telling you. But uh, it's very, it's very good. It's opposite Sheerness. Yeah, very atmospheric. And then of course the Broomway, also called the Broom Road. Yeah. I've never done that, and I really want to do it. It's MOD land now, isn't it? I got into quite a long email correspondence with Sedexo or whoever they are who run it. Oh, really? Yeah, it's they Yeah, saying I want to come out and do this, God, please. Takes... And they were saying no, we're we're doing exercises. And I said, oh. when are you not doing exercises? Is it a causeway though, or is it just a a route through a the sand. A matter sands. of some debate, Lloyd. Okay, right. is it could be a very ancient just ridge of sand that yeah. people have discovered and marked out with sticks, yeah. brooms. Yeah, or others suggest that the Romans built it. So the Romans didn't have to deal with sedexo. No, they were sedexo. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> the Romans were sedexo. That one is quite dangerous because it's quite a long walk out and a long walk back. So if you don't get your tide times right... And they say about the Maplin Sands, where it's based, that the tide comes in faster than a man can run. (laughs) Wow. That's good. God, I'm a bit shivery about that. Okay. I think it was Asquith who said, perhaps in this very building, that a prime minister must be a good butcher... Are you
0: a good butcher? Is
1: it no, I'm not a good butcher, but I've had to learn to carve the joint. The sound of the weir. The water running over the weir, out from the Lancashire flatlands into the Humber estuary. At Tetney Lock. Tetney Lock. Shall I tell you why I brought you here? Well, I was wondering. You're going to get scared again. But here, it's not a very scary place. Well, wow. it's rather a beautiful canal. Okay. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. It's another candidate site. Basically, what we're standing on here is the Louth Canal, or you'd call it the Louth Canal. I called it the Louth Canal once, and ever since, all the Louth once, and you've you've never forgiven me. Louth is a candidate market town and a strangely disconnected one in, uh, in history. Is the railways got there late? This canal. Sort didn't sort of worked, then didn't work, and it was actually shut down in 19 early 1950s. And this canal then has its own kind of estuary going into the Humber estuary. Yeah. So what I'm interested in is the idea that if it wasn't the Humber estuary, but it was a slightly smaller estuary, yeah, then at the end of this canal, there there is a farmstead, and I presume there's a lockkeeper's cottage here somewhere, or, or there must have been a warehouse or something at the bottom of the canal, right? Well, there's something else at the end of the canal here as well. What's Bull that? Sand Fort. The what? Bull Sand Fort. You know Bull Sand Fort? Um, so, uh, I didn't know. But, well, there's Hail Sand Fort and Bull Sand Fort that were planned in 1914 to protect the sea entrance to the Humber estuary that's, that are in the waters of the estuary, just off the mean low, mean low water. So, so just you can out walk the out the water, there at low tide? You can walk to them at low tide, I think. It's not, I'm not entirely clear if you can walk to them at low tide. They were abandoned by the military in 1956. Oh, they all, they all give up on it in the 50s, don't they? Something terrible happened in the 50s. Now, look, the other reason I brought you here, yeah, Tetney. Yeah, to Tetney. Yeah. Where we are now yeah. is an absolute sort of pit of paranormal activity. Tim's face-haunted face-on. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a paranormal activity. I'm referring you to the ghost hunting site of uh-huh. Adrian Fuller. Adrian Fuller, yeah. Adrian Fuller Ghost Hunts. Weebly. Com. Okay. Okay. So if we went to the Plough Inn, which we drove past, Plough Inn, yeah, that is haunted by an ex landlord <laughs> whose presence is often felt by some of the regulars. <laughs> when they say presence is often felt, what in you know, a kind of. And it's often felt by the present landlord who himself sees he sees this ex-landlord sometimes appearing as a dark shadow. <laughs> <laughs> so we should have a pint in there, shouldn't we? <laughs> then we've got the crown and anchor in, that tetany lock, which we saw. That's haunted by a young Victorian woman, of course, whose presence has been felt inside the building. And has also been seen looking out of a bedroom window. Oh, right. Very good. Which is what happens in the book, right? The book, he, go, he goes back to the house and he sees the woman in black looking out of the window. Yeah. Oh, right. okay starting to like it, are you? Well, yeah. I mean, they're all quite standard tropes, though, aren't they? I mean, the, land, the, the publican one. I've never heard about a publican being haunted by another <laughs> publican. <laughs> That's and all in this one place. Well, it's a very small place. I know. And do you know why? Why? Well, I'm going to quote Adrian here. Adrian Fuller. Yeah. In my opinion, as a paranormal investigator... Okay, well. Which is a phrase I would like to say. <laughs> in my opinion, as a paranormal investigator, the village is a hotbed of paranormal activity. Yeah. Are you getting a slight chill? The paranormal no, not, activity? Not, not, not even remotely. Not even a twinge. Well, I'm very disappointed. I've got to say. I think you were more freaked out when I told you that Northcote's next village along. Yeah. There's a big place for training missionaries. The New Tribes Mission. Yeah. Right by... So that's another place... Where the house could be. Yeah. Is on the North Coast airfield, just off the coast there. Yeah. And it's now just a big place for uh mish- training missionaries. What we come? heard gunfire. We heard something going <laughs> repeated, um bangs, didn't we? But you I think you were more upset by that than you were by any of the paranormal stuff I just told you. I was I was I was more worried that you were gonna drive me into the new tribe's mission and I was not gonna get out. <laughs> now no, I'm the not, other thing on here. a lighter note, just to, just to to take us a, you know, just to calm you down after all that yeah. really scary stuff. Yeah. I wanted to let you know that we're not very far from uh, the childhood home of Bernie Torpin, the lyricist for Elton John. Bernie Torpin? Yeah, yeah. From around here? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's a Lincolnshire lad. He's a brown dirt cowboy from, from, from Luth. Has he got a yellow brick drive? That's so interesting, because I was be just, a number of paranormal uh, messages within the lyrics. There's a very good podcast called 80sography. You wouldn't like it. It's all about 80s pop music. You'd hate it, because you don't like 80s pop music. They had an episode about We Built This City we built this city duh, duh, which was written by I didn't know the lyrics were written by um, I didn't know the lyrics were written by Bernie Taupin I didn't know that and the guy who wrote it with Malcolm Page who wrote the music yes so Bernie sent him the lyrics and the, we built this city has got this very strange line that everyone gets uptight about Marconi plays the mamba listen to the radio not yeah. mambo. It says mamba, and, um, and and that's on the song. And, and they go and they played the demo that Malcolm Page recorded it. And he goes, "Marconi plays the mamba," and the guy interviewing saying, "Well, did you not think Bernie just made a mistake and it should be Marconi plays the mambo?" And he goes, "Well, that's what Bernie wrote. That's what I sang." <laughs> Interesting, you should say, man, Marconi. Spooky, okay. even. Spooky. Spooky. Okay, you've got a Marconi reference around here. One of the first Marconi radio stations. Yeah was at Tetney in Lincolnshire. What, here? Yes. That's amazing. It was constructed as part of the Imperial Wireless Chain, linking the nations of the British Empire. It established shortwave communications with Australia in April 1927. Oh, wow. And in September 1927, it established communications for the first time with India, possibly with Mumbai. Okay, so... So, do you see where I'm going? I do. (laughs) So I think Bernie was onto something. But Marconi plays, the <laughs> plays to Mumbai. Plays to Mumbai. It's a techie <Tetini> reference. <laughs> and before you scoff too much about, I'm that. not scoffing. I think it's amazing. So they were, broad- they were they were broadcasting to India and Australia from here yes. in 1927. That's right, nearly 100 years ago. Yeah, but the other thing they were what they were doing, of course, yeah, they were talking to the dead. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean they were talking to the dead? All these great inventors of the radio and the telephone and the television, they were all convinced that they were on the path to creating a device that would allow you to talk to the dead. Oh, shut the door. No, that's true. They didn't believe that. Towards the end of his life, Marconi pursued the possibility of electronic contact with the dead. Oh, come on. Instead of establishing a direct line between this world and that of the spirits... Marconi sketched out plans for a spirit phone, oh, come a device on. that would capture every word ever spoken throughout human history, even stating that he hoped someday to hear the last words of Jesus on the cross. Oh, come on. For Marconi, these voices were not lost, but still undulated throughout the universe on sound waves. What an extraordinary idea. Here's a, here's a quote from Thomas Edison in an interview in Scientific America in 1920. The interviewer asked him, after a very successful period of time, what he is planning to invent next. And his answer was I have been working for quite some time on a machine that will allow the user to communicate with the dead. Obviously, you, everyone knows that all the white noise on radio is the dead people trying to speak to us. Everyone knows that, right? Well you, you grew you grew up in Norfolk, so the phrase everyone knows that means for me is everyone in Norfolk knows that. No, not everyone. I want to talk to you a little bit about trains and how our hero, Mr. Kipps, gets. Yeah, I knew you'd get down to something Griffin, quite Giffen. prosaic, and and you'd shy away from the spiritual and the the you other are side. You were always the one the banging on at me about we should focus on what's in the book rather than what you found out on the internet about Marconi's ghosts.
0: You didn't uh, like that, video. So she
1: has our hero getting on the train at King's Cross. And he takes the train. At Crewe, I changed with ease and continued on my way, noting that the trap began to veer towards the east, as well as heading north, and I ate a pleasant dinner. It was only when I came to change again and onto the branch line at the small station of Homerby that I began to feel less comfortable. So she, he goes from King's Cross to Crewe, from Crewe to Homerby, and from Homerby to Criffin Gifford. Okay. Homerby and Criffin Gifford are obviously fictional places. Yes. There are very many things wrong with this, but the main thing that's wrong with it is you can't get a train from King's Cross to Crewe. Yeah, that infuriated you, infuriates didn't it? me. So Crewe is on the West Coast Main Line, hmm. and it connects to lines out to North Wales and uh, other places in the northwest, and it goes from Euston. Oh, okay. But King's Cross goes to. The thing that I find particularly infuriating, and also I think it's not really infuriating because I, think I really being, hope she's listening to this. She's now, being very. She's, art- she will have done that on purpose. She's being very artful, right? Because if you were going to the east coast, you would go from King's Cross. You just wouldn't go via Crew, because you can't get to Crew. You know, that's like going. That's like going from the southeast to the northwest and then back to the east. This it's, is the most bonkers. animated you've been across I'm, the whole I'm, of these I'm, two I'm, episodes. I'm, 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 I, th- I just about man. I was looking. I was looking at my 1910 Bradshaw's guide to the railways. Of course you were. Uh, which is in a, bed, probably. Which is the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as closest I could get. And I could just about work out a route from um, Crewe to uh, Harrogate and then to the East Coast. Okay. I could just about work that out. Yes. But you can't get from King's Cross to Crew, so I kept stuck in there. What's that. the point? What I, do, you think, do you think she's done that on purpose? I absolutely think she's done that on purpose. There's another thing that she does is the train he gets is, is the Sir Bedvedere. Bedevere. Bedevere. The train's called the Sir Bedivere. Bedivere. Watch out on your pronunciations. We've had a feed, some feedback on we pronunciations. Did. Mr. Mr. Yeah, not, no, no, we're not going to say who. Okay. We, only Patreon subscribers get a shout out. Okay, all right. Is he not a Patreon subscriber? Um, if they do £9. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. Don't get a shout out for £2. Right. Okay, we won't talk about that then. He gets the Sir Bedivere. Now, I looked up the Sir Bedivere. It was part of the King Arthur class of locomotives that were, were taken out of service in the 1960s. Steam Very engines. Good. The thing about those locomotives, though, that they only operated on the GWR, the Great Western Railway. Oh. Why mention the name of a train? Because she's, she's playing with you. She's saying, she is she's fan. like, I know this was in the GWR. What are you going to do about it? I know you can't get a train from King's to Crew. What are you going to do about it? But basically she's saying this place doesn't and you cannot exist. Yeah, you can't get there. Yeah. You can't Which get I there. think is really clever, actually. I think this is like the, the King's Cross the Crew one, is just a, it's just a massive wink like that, you know? Yeah. I think. I think that's also, I read somewhere about ghost stories that said it was very important that they weren't too um, specific about where they took place mm-hmm. so that you could think of them happening where you are or yeah. somewhere where you know rather than it being somewhere far away. If you knew exactly where it was, you go, oh, it's got nothing to do with it, it's scary. Do you know what I mean? Ghost stories need to be a little bit specific in order to the opposite, give you it, the chills. It's such a, a weird, faraway place that sort of anything becomes believable. The single line to Crith and Gifford. Yeah, which goes through a tunnel. Goes through the Gapemouth the Tunnel. The Gape Mouth Tunnel, so, right. so to get to Crith and Gifford. So I think that's the other thing, isn't it, is the idea that the mythical land of Crith and Gifford, the spooky land, is you have to go through a portal to get there. <laughs> You do. I would also say though that our Although in your case you wouldn't go through a portal. No, that, all right, would you? Yeah, 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 But, but that, more of that anon. More of that anon. But if for, to get to Louth, you, you would have to go through a tunnel if you were coming from the from the west because of the Lincolnshire Wolds. Ah, so that was good. So that wasn't works. It? It works and there well. were some single line trains that go to Louth through the through They the were world. the trains go from Grantham or Lincoln, okay. and it's a single track. So, so that works. So now we're liking Laos for that as well. We're liking Laos for that, yeah. Okay, well, let's go to Laos. Let's go.
0: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Lelf. When I stepped out of the Gifford Arms after enjoying a remarkably good breakfast, the air was fresh, crisp, and clear, and the sky as blue as a blackbird's egg, which it is today, actually. The little town was built for the most part of stone and rather austere grey slate and set low, the houses huddled together in looking in on themselves. I wandered about, discovering the patterns of the place, a number of straight, narrow streets or lanes led off at every angle from the compact market square in which the hotel was situated and which was now filling up with pens and stalls, carts, wagons and trailers in preparations for the market. Ah, very good. So we're sitting by the side of the road in in Lauf. We think this is a pretty good candidate for Griffin Gifford, right? Well, I like it. Yeah, a lot. I mean, it's not grey. It's not grey stone and slate. It's it's sort of brick. And it's not. It's not a small place. But uh, he says but it's the a, market bit is just the marketplace is perfect. perfect. With the hotel looking over the market square. It's an enclosed sort of market space. We sat outside there. There's a hotel called the Masons Arms. Yeah. And there are lots of little narrow streets, wandering Coming off of it, it. Yeah. Which is just lovely and it is about a mile from the uh, from the station i would say yes you would want to get a lift you wouldn't really want to walk it it's on the train line immediately after you come out of the wolds. so that that fits the book it's too far away it's about ten miles about from 10 the marsh. From the marsh, where we've just been. Yeah. But then I think there are good book reasons for that. Why it needs to be closer in the book because he has to go backwards and forwards a lot. So I think there are rightly reasons why it has to be no more than three miles from the from the beach. Yeah. But if you want to get a sense of being in a rural market town, an English rural market town, then you can just hoof on out to the coast, yeah. and you'll get a strong sense of that idea of this being the last port of call before you go out into the flats. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So we quite like Lauf. Yeah, I do. Well, we like Lauf for lots of other reasons, though, don't we? Well... One reason. Here's one reason. Did you know... We, Well, you, you do know now, because you walked past the sign, but you didn't know, was uh, it's on the Meridian. It's on the Meridian line. That's a ley line. Spooky. Yeah, very much That's so. It's sort of a man-made ley line. It's the ultimate ley line. The ultimate ley line. And then, of course, people who live in Lauf yeah. are called Ludensians. <laughs> Did you know that? How did that happen? Ludentius. Well, because I think it's from the Latin, a Latin name for it. I think Ludentia the town was called Luder or something like yeah. that. Ludencians. And they have a very fine roster of Ludentians listed on their Wikipedia page. Okay. Uh, therefore unverified. <laughs> unverified and uh, well, uh, apart from reliable. one. Unti- well, apart from one verified. We've got a verified one. We'll come on to him. So Jim Broadbent. Jim Broadbent. The actor lives in a small village outside. Louth, apparently. Roy Chobby Brown, the comedian? Roy Brown. Now, and then it gets weirder. Julie Christie has a home in Louth and works with the local film club. See, I disputed this one because I I think that Julie Christie lives in Brick Lane in London. Well, the next one gets even stranger. They say, they say Daniel Craig has a house between Legbourne and Louth. James oh. Bond lives near Louth. OK. So... Imagine the panto, Christmas panto. Well, with Daniel Gina Craig Christy and Daniel, Daniel Christie, and on. he's married to Rachel Weisz as well, isn't he? Correct. I think she does the panto as well. as she doesn't, oh, is she, I doubt she comes. Does really there, get London involved? she stays in New York. Doesn't she? Doesn't come to his house in Louth? No. <laughs> Who does? Yeah. <laughs> apart from possibly. Yeah. Barbara Dixon might visit. Oh, no, she's got a caravan here, and <laughs> <laughs> she's got another suitcase in another hall. <laughs> <laughs> and to top it all. To top it all. You're very excited about this. One. Well, I was actually. I really was. That Robert Wyatt of Robert, Soft Machine, Wyatt, Soft Machine, uh, lives and Shipbuilding fame. Yeah. So we were. Um, we were. He's 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 very elderly now, and obviously he's been confined to a wheelchair for four decades since uh, an accident. Since an accident, he fell out a window, didn't he? Yeah, he fell out a window. Yeah. We were walking through Louth, uh, looking at the shops, and talking about it. And in the distance, a guy on a mobility scooter is heading towards us—an older guy. And I said something along the lines of, "Wouldn't that be bizarre if it was Robert Wyatt?" And lo and (laughs) behold, and it was. As he approached, you said to me, "That is Robert Wyatt." That is Robert Wyatt. (laughs) And uh, we both went a little bit. You know, you're a big Robert Wyatt fan, aren't you? I'm not. I'm not so much. I'm a a massive. I'm a massive uh, Robert Wyatt fan. And you were you were toying with the idea of going up to him, but.
0: Well in we these, decided it was.: a bit Well, late. he's
1: quite elderly now. I think yeah. he's retired as a musician. And he stopped these, outside the spa. In he did. <laughs> in these days of COVID, yeah. you can't really go up and shake his hand or no. give him a hug or anything, no, can you? No, no. So you'd have to stand at a distance and shout him saying, I really like your record Robert Wyatt. I fell for stories. They're cool stories, aren't they? They are stories. Down a fr- from a drain pipe, well, trying to hold on to the drain pipe, which was all right, at the top bit, which is rusty, and then I got to a shiny bit. By oh,
0: okay.
1: each time I was sweating, so my sweat and the shininess, I lost my grip. <laughs> yeah, so again, seven months in Stoke Mandible, and I came out my new man, really. I can sing like him quite well. <laughs> <laughs> can you though? Yeah. Can you though? <laughs> Not straight after lunch. I need a. <laughs> We need to warm up. need to warm up. I love <laughs> you Oh, he's off. OK. He... We need to sign off now before everybody tunes out. We're on to the good stuff now. I'm looking you're, forward you're to this You're excited bit. about this, aren't you? I think this bit is better. We want to try and date... The woman in black. Right. So we've done we've done it most of our locations. So you know, if you said to somebody, when do you think the woman in black is set, I bet they would say to you it's Victorian or Edwardian. They do say it. They I've do. been looking at old reviews of the book. Yeah. And throughout Even reviewers people say, say, Oh, a ghost story set in the Victorian era. Yeah. Even in quite sort of big newspapers they say it. Which you can't is, trust anyone these days. This is just wrong. It is. It's not just a bit wrong, it's completely it's wrong. It's isn't it? It's worth saying she makes a couple of small mistakes when she's talking about this, by the way. The book says the thing starts in late November. Yes. But later on, she just, he describes the weather as being early November weather. Uh, so there's a bit of a mistake there. Yes. She also says that the hero, Mr Kipps, was barely 23 Yep. when he goes to Griffin Gifford. But then he later says that his wife died a year later Yes. when he was 23. Yes, and I spotted that they one. They can't both be right. They can't. But there's a very clear signal about the date for this and it's on the gravestone. Yes. In the graveyard, right? The which, graveyard which that's says right. Jen J Drablo 190. So I think we can assume that J Drablo is Janet, Janet Drablo, yes. the sister of Mrs Drablow, and the 190 suggests that she died in the first decade of the of the 20th century. Yes. Correct? Yes, I'm w- I'm with you. Right. Now, there's a bunch of other things. He finds a bunch of letters from 60 years before and the summer of the following year. Yes. Yeah, in the house. Yes. He finds those in the house. And they're from a, the the first ones are from a woman unmarried and with child. Correct. So we can assume that that is Janet. Yes. She, you give Janet, she gives the child up for adoption perhaps in the following year. So Mrs. Drablo must have moved into the house around that time and lived there for about 60 years. The boy dies about age six. Yeah, Nathan. Nathan. And 12 years after that, Mm -hmm. Janet dies of heart failure. Yes, that's right. Right. So, working back from that, 60 minus 12 is 48. 48 years from 190 something means the events of the book are happening between 1949 and
0: 1957. Yes. Right.
1: But then there's more, because then he goes on. So, obviously, the the narrator's looking back on this from his, his present state. He talks about going to the house finding the house that he now lives in when he's aged 35 after his wife and child have died when he was aged 23 some years later he meets esme
0: yes yeah so
1: is he maybe 38 then he says he's a widower for 12 years yeah yeah and then he marries her and for 14 years has been living in monks peace so i'm making that 23 years in total okay so 1949 to 1957, that range from when the, events of the, book, the original events of the house happened, yeah. plus 23 means this book is set between 1972 and 1980. Um, okay, very good. Very good. I'd, I'd add one more thing to that. There's mm. no mention of the war. the war. So if it was 1949 and he was 23, he would have been in the war, the back end of the war. He would have been 18 so in 1984. more likely to it's be. more likely to be later in that range. So I think it's set towards 1980. And the events of the book happen in the, in the mid to late 50s. Which is probably 1980s, roughly, when she's writing the book. Exactly. OK. Yeah. So it's not Victorian. No, not at all. It's, it's Victorian in her references to literature. Again, it's that business that a lot of the books that she's referencing the are tone. Victorian and Edwardian. Yeah, absolutely. M.R. James. But the timeline is not. I've got a few other things to put in the pot. Go on. So the incidents of this we're saying happened in November, right? Yeah. He gets to Critton Gifford on a Friday. Yeah. His market day and the funeral is on the Saturday. Yeah. Sunday gets quite spooky, and then he, uh, his first visit to the house, and then, uh, and then he goes cycling for 30 miles. He does. And then Mondays back to the house with the dog. Poor Spider. Dog. Tuesday there's a change in the weather. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday it's windy, and, the, and that's when the dog gets caught in the marsh, mm-hmm. and he's rescued by daily. Thursday, he's ill for five days, and then he's recovered after 12 days. So he's essentially the, the whole it's thing's happening. day is, twenty from 20 days, isn't it? Yeah, so if it's all in November, it's got to be sort of quite early November that he turfs up there, and then late November when he leaves. Well, So which is it right? Because at the beginning of the book, he says he leaves in I late know. November. Then now, he... look, one of these things about doing these ghost books is how often they like to have a full moon in order to create a weird atmosphere. Yeah. But in this case, they do only mention one full moon, and and it happens on a Tuesday, on the Monday night, Tuesday Mm. night. So I went online and looked up when were full moons in November in the 50s, in the time range you're talking about. So there's only 1948, Tuesday the 16th, 1951, Tuesday the 13th, 1955, November the 29th, Tuesday. So there's three that it could be. Now, after he's recovered, he gets married six weeks later. He does. Which has to be after Christmas, then. I, right? said, I said late January, yeah. Yeah, and then he says he has a son uh, after a year. Yep, January or February. All right, and then he says the summer of the year after the birth, so the year after that, because also he's a toddler. No, by he meant. doesn't. He says that year. No, the summer of the year after no, no, birth. Sunday afternoon in summer that year, it says. Mm, no, I disagree with you about that. Oh, I know, you're, you're quite right. I beg your pardon. Yeah. She says, the Sunday afternoon, the summer of the year following our son's birth. Yeah. I apologise. Thank you very much. Close reading is very important. I apologise. Good. And then 10 months later, his wife dies from the accident. Mm. So, say it was 1955. 55. She gets married in 56, has a son in 57. The accident happens in 58, and his wife dies in 59. Yeah. Then we, then you go forward and say that then he was a widower for 12 years from 1959. He'd be a widower till 1971. Yeah. And then he lived in the house for 14 years. Yeah. That takes you to 1986. Very good. Okay. 1986. So okay. We're, we're not far off each other. But the timelines don't match each other. It depends which full moon you want oh, to go? Oh, okay, okay. So if you went for an earlier full if moon, you went, so if we went for the 1951, if we said that the Tuesday, that would make it 1982. Yeah, which is quite good, then, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So my, that's my favourite is to say that he goes there on November the ninth, 1951. Hmm, that's not bad, is it? It's very good. So we we've got to quite a specific date. Which we have, are, but also when next time someone says, "When is the Woman in Black?" set you can quite legitimately say the 1980s. Yeah, it's an 80s. <laughs> yeah. It's an 80s book. That's why it's rubbish, because it's based be in 1983. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 1980s book. So we are... Where are we? No, where we are <laughs> up on the Lincolnshire Walls. <laughs> I, I found you a rail tunnel. Well, a rail, say don't a, say I don't do anything for you. Standing at a rail tunnel... And we've just walked up the old, now abandoned place where the track would have run, which is now very overgrown with private get-off-my-land signs everywhere. And we're about to walk into this tunnel. So in the book, there's a tunnel called the Mouth Tunnel. Mouth Tunnel. And it basically is about a train, a one-track train. They have to yeah. wait for the outgoing train to come through, don't yeah. they, before they go in. And then it goes under the last bit of hills, or wolds, yeah. possibly, and then emerges out towards Critton Gifford and the flats. Yeah. So it's it's the sort of only way in and out of town, as it were. Yeah. Now, now this is the Bennyworth Tunnel. Right. Which I think was part... Now, I mean, uh, you're the train person, not me. Well, I haven't researched the trains around right here yet. But it, is, it claims this is part of the Louth to Bardney line. OK. That's all I know. Right, well, we'll check but that out. But the thing that I'm more interested in was, you know, how do you, how do you feel about dark spaces... I'm all right with dark spaces. You're not going to be scared? I'm scared about the trespassing. rather than the Oh, dark that's spaces. good, yes. The, the ghostly farmer is going to come yeah. and evict you. I'm worried about will very ghostly. Get off my land. It's the trespassing okay. that I'm feeling comfortable So if I start being really noisy, you're going to get quite tense, aren't you? Because you think we're going to get found out. I'm already quite tense. And how do you feel about bats? I'm all right with bats. Apparently there are species of bats in here. Three. Three different species of bats. So you don't mind about bats? I don't mind you're about bats. not scared of that either? Are you... Are you, are you, are you, are you just, am I disappointing you in my lack of fear? Look, I've spent a lot of hard work trying to find <laughs> scary haunted places for you. you. have. And uh, I'm not getting enough feedback. No. Anyway, well, I shall we should, should we step we've inside? We've got to walk through it, though, haven't we? Yeah, come on. So we're going into the tunnel now. Yes, it's very, very... And now it becomes quite echoey. Hold on, who's that figure at the other end? Oh, good one. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Isn't this amazing? So we're right inside the Gape Mouth Tunnel. Yeah. This is what it would have been like, right? Yeah. Okay, there's water dripping. Okay, I would admit to a certain degree of unease at this point. Come on, you've got to keep going. Don't be scared. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) More scared of collapse than than anything supernatural. You don't think there's people in here. Ooh, that's nice oh, wow. that's nice now. No, thank you. That's far enough for me. What do no, you know? come on, we've got to go all the way through. You've got to come on, go all the way through. It's eight miles away. No, it isn't. It's not very far at all. Got... We've to go all the way back.: Yes. Come, are you serious? You're not going to do it? I'm not, I'm not enjoying it. Good. Okay, well on, you I'm not th- enjoying this at all. This is horrible. <laughs> you said you didn't mind. No, but but no I, that was that was I, before I went in. I gave you a full health warning. I <laughs> said, "How are you, dark spaces?" <laughs> <laughs> "How <laughs> are you with bats?" This is isn't you no, you I, not You said <laughs> you didn't. I'm not doing that. going I'm not doing that. I can't believe it. You got come the on. whole tunnel. You're secretly pleased. <laughs> oh, I'm not on, going then. I'm not going all the way through there. Are you not? No. you bloody coward. No, I'm not. Absolutely not. Excellent. Gotcha. Absolutely not! Walking all the way through there. <laughs> I'm so pleased. I thought I was going to be fine, but uh, no. Is it the water dripping? You think it's going to collapse? It's the it's the not being able to see what's underfoot. Oh come on! You can see the light at the end of the tunnel quite literally. Yeah, but you can't see your own feet. You just head towards the light. I'm not doing it. Head towards oh, the light. I'm Don't not... look away from the light. I'm leaving. <laughs> that was horrible. That was really horrible. (laughs) I want my mum. I'm glad we ended on a note of horror and fear. (laughs) I couldn't see my feet. Now we come to the point where we give this book a rating. Should we do Artistic Achievement first? Yes, so I'm going to give this quite a high score for Artistic Achievement, actually. When I originally read it, I thought, actually, it's a bit clichéd and the language is quite plain. But in the end, I thought, actually, I quite like the way that uh, she's confected this story from a lot of literary allusions and she's been very elusive about where it takes place and when it takes place. And that actually, the rather sort of dampened language suits the emotion of the narrator, Kipps. And in fact, the final line's very good. Yeah, the final line just says, they have asked for my story, I have told it enough. There you go. It's pretty good, isn't it? So I'm going to give this. Uh, and when I say quite high, a seven from me is quite high. Yeah, a seven from you is quite high because you're a miserable so and so. And similarly to you, I th- look. I think it's very rare for a book to get scarier the more you read it. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, I'd probably give it an eight. Great. Um, That's fifteen. <laughs> That's 15. a high score. I think it's a brilliant book. I really do. I now we so. come to QSpec. Rating. Q-spec, Well, it depends how, how we, is it? On the face of it, it doesn't get a very good Q-spec rating, mm. unless you take the view as I do that she's being deliberately artful about the specificity. In which case, you can give it quite a high score because it's like she knows what she's doing. Yes, it's not she's, not. she's not. She's not. She's not got it wrong. No, she's made it wrong. So I think I'd probably give it an eight as well. I'm going to be slightly tougher on this. Well, uh, yeah, because it's all very well what you've said. It's all yeah. very well. <laughs> But at the end of the day, this podcast's about calling writers to account about being specific about dates and locations and going out in the field and saying, yes, there it is. And if you've just made it up. And then if you've just managed to sit in a house somewhere and make things up, (laughs) what's the point? Well, one thing I would say is you always say that you give things a low rating if you can't then follow the book out on an adventure. And we had a hell of an adventure. We did have a hell of an adventure. All right. You know what? You've just added a point to it. I'm going to give it a six as a result of that. And I I, I think if Susan Hill ever listens to this, I would just like (laughs) to say in the nicest possible way, we see you. (laughs) We see you. We know what's going on here. You started writing your own ghost story there <laughs> about you appearing in a window with Susan Hill outside. We know where the I house is. I see you. I see you, Susan. <laughs> Not sinister at all. So that was The Woman in Black by Susan Hill. Yes. Tremendously good. Spooky. Spooky, spooky, spooky stuff, but uh, tremendous fun. I love the way that this podcast takes us to places that you, you would never otherwise go. Including the lovely bed and breakfast we went to in Lincolnshire right next to a graveyard. I, think, it, it, yeah. I want to say thank you to Simon and his wife who run Wickham House. Bed and breakfast. Yeah. In Connish's Hole. Right? the King's, that. The King's Farm. Yes. Actually, what was even better was that he recommended supper at the local pub, and the pub was called the Axe and Cleaver. <laughs> it was called the Axe and Cleaver. Yeah. You weren't frightened of that, either, <laughs> were you? No, it was very unslaughtered lamby. It was- As usual, I also need to thank the artist Learning Music on the Free Music Archive for our theme tune loop. Or oh. loop. Yes, I like to say thank you every time. I'm maybe listener. You're getting me a bit bored of it, but I think if we don't give credit to the artists who, whose music we use, what kind of world are we in? Uh, well, indeed, hey? indeed, we also have to because of Stig, our marketing guy. Yeah, we have to do the social media thing, don't we? Well, we have yeah. to. Well, first of all, we have an Instagram account. Yeah, we've been quite busy on that. There's some yeah. lovely stuff, Dracula stuff we've been You've been, been enjoying on yourself on Instagram, I you? I know. have basically been learning how to use Instagram. I'm like a big kid. And, uh, Stig- my kids are really embarrassed about my stories on Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah they are quite good. They're very creative. Mm. Um, Stig uh, insists that we say that we've got a Facebook page, but my, neither me or Tim have ever been no, there. No, I do go there. Do you? And I, I have to say, I did actually tell all the friends I seem to have on Facebook that it was there, and a number of them very kindly have liked it. We've got about 60 followers on there. Have now. we, really? If you subscribe to this podcast, please... Like us, maybe reviewers and raters. Oh, please do a rating uh, whatever, if you yeah. on your podcast channel of choice. Give us a rating, yeah. say hello and a comment, and um, yeah. and tell your friends. Till next time. Till next time. More. Well, I think we got. I think we got a bit more horror to come, haven't we? Uh, yeah. I, I think, think I'm, I'm going to get scared. The next ones really horrible. Yeah. Yeah. See you soon.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen